short lesson to kick off the morning. We're going to go back. We're going to hear from this great praise team again, which I'm excited about. And uh, then we're going to have a message, and it looks like there may be a surprise at the end. So it's going to be a great Sunday morning. Amen? Amen. So we've been covering um, the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross, the seven things that Jesus said on the cross. And we've learned that the cross was not just a life-changing event, but it was also something that Jesus used as a final chance to talk to his followers and leave some, some important messages that we can take and apply to our life today. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 19, verse 30, we are going to look at, arguably, the most memorable of the sayings that Jesus uttered on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 30 says that when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, everybody say this with me, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So for just a few minutes, I want to talk to you from this title, it is finished, the aftermath. The aftermath. So this one verse culminates everything that we've been discussing in deeper waters over the past few weeks. Jesus is hanging on the cross between heaven and earth, between life and death. He's given final instructions to his followers. He's prayed his final prayer. And now he makes his last statement before the Bible tells us in King James English that he gave up the ghost and he died. The spotless lamb of God who never sinned, who never lied, who never spoke evil of another person, who never gave into temptations, let out a cry, it is finished, and he died. But what exactly was Jesus implying when he said, it is finished. The Bible tells us in gruesome detail everything that Jesus went through before he said these words. Just to give you some quick highlights, he was, he was whipped with a whip that contained shards of glass and rocks. He was put up for public humiliation in a trial that was doomed from the very beginning. He was crowned with thorns. Multiple times the Bible records that just random people would smote him. Like, I don't want to be, none of y'all better smote me today. I don't want to be smoted. So he was getting smoted all over the place. And ultimately, he was nailed to a cross, and his blood was drained out as a spear was stabbed into his side. And when he said, it is finished, he was culminating like the physical pain is finished. But he was also referring to something else, not just the physical pain is over and this life is over. He was also saying that the completion of all of these Old Testament prophecies that were surrounding the Messiah were also completed. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 14 through 18, tells us a little bit about some of those prophecies and what Jesus meant when he said, it is finished. And it says, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of sins is, there is no more offering for sin. Jesus was fulfilling all of this prophecy as he died on the cross and he said, it is finished. Never again would God accept an offering for sin. Never again. That was the final offering for sin. And that was the only way now going forward that anybody was going to have reconciliation to God. It was through the death of Jesus Christ. And so I'm thankful for that today because God's not, look, if you want, if you want to go out and you want to pay for penance, or you want to sacrifice something for God, it's great, I guess. But that's not how sins are forgiven anymore. God doesn't accept that any longer. He says, there was, I paid the ultimate price on that cross when I died, and now all of your sins are forgiven through me, and I'm thankful for that this morning. 
And so at the culmination of his death, and when he said, it is finished, he was bringing all of that together, and he was saying, this is all finished, and there is now a new way. What an event that actual moment would have been to witness. It just, on one hand, it would be terribly sad, right? Jesus is dying on a cross, but then at the other hand, how much we know now what actually was happening at that moment would have been a pretty cool thing to witness in that way. I don't know. I'm torn. Thankfully, I don't have to make that decision because I'm not allowed to go back in time and watch it. But if you were wondering what happened at that exact moment, Matthew 27 actually gives us some description of the events that kind of happened surrounding the time when Jesus said, it is finished. It didn't just happen like on a hillside and, you know, somebody recorded it, but it was an insignificant event. That's not how it went down. So Matthew 27 tells us this. I don't have the verses up there. You can read it later. Just trust me. Verse 45 tells us that when Jesus was hanging on the cross from noon until three in the afternoon, the whole area was plunged into darkness. So imagine if right now just the sun went out for a few minutes and didn't come back for like four hours. That would be a significant event. My kids would lose their mind. I'll tell you that right now. They they don't do well in the dark. Uh, Verse 51 tells us that as this is happening, the veil in the temple that separated the holy place just ripped top to bottom, just ripped. So you can just imagine this. It's dark. The people who are in the temple are probably just tripping out now that they're spontaneously splitting fabric in the middle of the temple. And Matthew also mentions that an earthquake starts. So there's an earthquake. The ground's trembling. Rocks are splitting. And verse 52 just casually drops this in here, that dead saints were resurrected and came back to life. So you kind of you kind of get this picture, which it's not talked about enough. I'm gonna I have questions about that verse. <laughs> the earth is shaking, everything's going crazy, the veil is ripping, it's dark, dead people are back to life walking around. And and verse 54 tells us that a Roman centurion, a Roman who's part of an army that has seen arguably the most bloodshed of any army in the history of the world is actually, he, he, he shooketh as he's watching all of this because he stands back, he's not religious, and he says, surely this man was the son of God because of everything that he was witnessing. He's like, this is, frankly, this is nuts. I don't want any part of what's happening right now. And so this was a major, major event when Jesus died on the cross. The world was very much aware in that area what was happening. And uh, there's a term that is used to describe what happens after significant events. And that, that term is aftermath. And so aftermath is defined as the consequences or after effects of a significant event. Some events are so significant that when they happen, nothing returns to normal in the aftermath of it. And the death of Jesus on the cross was very significant. We know how significant it was, but the aftermath of what comes after arguably was way more significant than even the death and even Jesus saying it is finished. So here, I thought it would be fun. If we looked at a few significant events that have happened in my lifetime, I recognize that some of you are older um, and have had more significant events than I have. Um, Maybe some of you are younger and you think I'm crazy by sharing these ones, but if you can throw that first slide up there. This was a significant event uh, that left an aftermath. On the morning of September 11th, 2001, man, it's almost been 20 years. I am getting old. Um, (laughs) Americans woke up across the country to news that a terrorist group had taken over four passenger airlines 
and was going to use them as weapons against the United States. Two airplanes would crash into the World Trade Center, one would crash into the Pentagon, and one would fail to reach its target, crashing in a field, probably heading to the White House. This event was so significant that the aftermath is still felt to this day. Heightened security is a way of life. Surveillance is everywhere, everywhere you go now. There's homeland security. Travel security has fundamentally changed. We can't have liquid on a plane anymore. Slip-on shoes are a must. If you don't wear slip-on shoes when you travel, do it for the people behind you in line, even, even if you don't do it for yourself. We can't greet loved ones at the gate, and body scanners are now a thing. All of this is in the aftermath of this sad moment in history, and it still is being felt to this day. The reverberations are still coming. How about this one? This one's not as, uh, not as bad. Arguably not as bad, I guess. The online world took form in 1990 when computer scientist Tim Berners-Lee invented the World Wide Web. My guy, right there, <laughs> invented the World Wide Web. And from its creation in 1990 to today, a mere 30 years later, it is estimated that 3.36 billion people use the Internet every single day. It's estimated that 50 billion devices are actually attached to the internet, which is impressive when you consider only 3.36 billion use the internet. It's multiple devices per person. You can do the math. Search engines like Google perform over 3 billion searches in a day. And a recent study in Britain showed that people spent on average 10 hours a day connect, actively connected to the internet, which is more time than we would even spend sleeping. The aftermath of the World Wide Web has been staggering. Everything has changed since the World Wide Web came into existence. Businesses have never been the same. School, education, everything changed forever in the way we do business as a result of the creation of the World Wide Web. Mostly for good, some not so much, but you get the idea. There were after effects to what happened on that day. How about this next one? It kind of goes with that. My other guy. In 2007, Apple CEO Steve Jobs stepped to the podium at Apple's Worldwide De Developers Conference and introduced some technology that the world had never seen before and couldn't really even imagine. The iPhone was the world's first touchscreen smartphone that would change the way the world would communicate. It was touted as being as a, a device that would allow you to touch the internet from your pocket. And my personal favorite, this is why I wanted this particular picture. Steve Jobs, I don't know if you fully realize this, but he said, your life in your pocket, the ultimate digital device. How right he was. Because after this day, when the iPhone was introduced, the smartphone industry has taken off. 77% of American adults own a smartphone, and that's actually lower than I thought it would be. Some people own multiple. The internet referenced above from 1990 is actually more commonly accessed via a smartphone than it is from a computer. Just it's, it's taken over the way that the internet is being used. Media and the music industry completely changed as a result of this device right here. In the aftermath, entire industries had to change how they delivered content, all because of the creation of a smartphone. And in fact, communication even changed. It was created to be a phone, but now text, FaceTime, social media, and other apps are used way in excess of the actual phone feature. Go figure. Who calls anymore, right? You just send somebody a text. The aftermath of the, of the smartphone creation has been significant. It even brought about a whole new term. I'm going to try to get this term right. Nomophobia, which I promise you is a real word. 
It's no mobile phone phobia. It's used to describe a psychological condition when people have a fear of being detached from their mobile phone. <laughs> and I laughed. Oh, that's pathetic. But if you took my phone, I'd be like, oh, snap. Where's that? <laughs> Somebody might be trying to get a hold of me or something. I don't know. I'm not part of the solution. I'm part of the problem. <laughs> but the aftermath of this device right here, we can all agree, was extremely, extremely significant. And then the last one, would it be a church service in 2021 if we didn't talk about this one? And on March 6th of 2021, 21 people tested positive for coronavirus on a cruise ship outside of the coast of California, bringing awareness and alarm to the U.S. about a global pandemic that would dominate news stories and plans for the next year. Globally, over 83 million people would be infected, still counting, and the virus would be attributed to over 2 million deaths worldwide. In the aftermath of this, which we are still living in as we wear our masks and we get vaccines or don't, as we go through everything that we go through, we're still living in the aftermath, and we don't know what the full effects are going to be 10, 15 years down the road of this great experience that we've all gone through. Um, and we were introduced to a new term with this as well, social distancing, which I had never heard of that before, coronavirus. So every one of these events that, we just, that I just threw up there, and there's many more, changed for better or worse the way society functions. It left a wake the event happened, but then there was a wake that followed it that changed the way society operated. But none of these events compare, just in societal impact, I'm not even talking about spiritual impact, just societal impact to what happened on that fateful day when Jesus said, it is finished and died on the cross. Everything on earth changed forever on the day that Jesus died. The Bible, which before we had an Old Testament or we just had the Hebrew Bible, it was a complicated salvation plan for just a few people in a faraway land between Egypt and Assyria. But after Jesus' death, we have the Holy Scriptures, we have the Holy Bible. That is salvation for the entire world. And did you know, over 100 million Bibles are sold in the world every year. I'm not saying everybody reads them, but 100 million, that's an impressive number of sold Bibles. In fact, it's estimated there are 6 billion Bibles in print today, right now. That's a staggering number. That's a lot of people. So significant was the death of Christ, it literally changed how humanity would record time. We have the year of our Lord AD and before Christ as a result of Christ's death. Even recent attempts to change the terminology to before common era still hinge on the date that Jesus actually died. Every day across the globe, without realizing it, when somebody simply writes down a date, it points back to that significant day that Jesus died on the cross. I don't even know, but it's pointing right back to that moment where he says it is finished and time literally altered for all of humanity. How about travel? Every year, $20 billion is spent to travel to some form of a holy site that Jesus accessed while he was walking on the earth. He, he brought about, a, he brought about a, a billion dollar travel industry. Sure, that wasn't his primary cause, but that's what happens in the aftermath of that day. And then holidays, whether you realize it or not, most, not I'm not going to say most, but a lot of our holidays that we celebrate in the U.S., usually with a barbecue or food of some kind, it centers around that day that Jesus died or his life leading up to it. After Jesus, has died, the church, after Jesus died, the church began to just spread. And did you know that today, 2,000 years later, 32% of the population or 2.38 billion people claim to be Christian. On the, in the world. 
That's a staggering number. That's not bad because he started with like 12. So 2.38 billion, that is a significant return on the investment into those 12 people. There are over 30,000 Christian organizations in the world, and many of these are, are actual denominations. And it's estimated that there are 37 million Christian churches, like physical buildings in the world today, all because of what happened after Jesus said, it is finished. What an after effect of that day. The after effects of Christ are still being felt, but the true aftermath and the true thing that really happened on that day when he said it is finished is way more significant than any of the financial societal implications that we've heard about. What Jesus did when he actually died on the cross is best described as substitution. Sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve, and quickly it was followed by death. And so death was prescribed to every one of us because we have all sinned. Spoiler alert, we've all sinned. So when Jesus died on the cross, it's best described as substitution. So one author said it like this. He hung where I deserved to hang. He died the death that I deserved to die. He fully, personally, and directly received on himself the punishment that I rightly deserve to receive for my own sins. But instead of me receiving the punishment for myself, Jesus became my substitute. He took my place. He received on him the punishment that I deserved. When Jesus died on the cross, he literally substituted himself, not just for every sin that had been committed up to that point, but you want to talk about an after effect. For every sin that you and I were going to commit 2,000 years later, that one sacrifice, that one substitution reverberated throughout eternity. As he said, it is finished. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21 says it like this. To wit or to think that God himself, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And I'm wrapping this one up if the praise team wants to head this way. The beautiful thing about what Jesus did on the cross with the long-reaching after effects is pretty simple. It meant that 2,000 years later, in a pretty awesome church building in Liberty, Missouri, people like you and me can hear a message about what he did, about what he finished, and we can say, you know what? I don't have to live under the weight of that sin that I've carried. I don't have to live under the weight of the things that I've brought into this building on this day. But because of that one sacrifice, because of that one thing that he did, because of what he finished as a spotless lamb who didn't deserve to die, it was us, we deserve to die for our own sins, for our own faults. But because of what he did, it's still reverberating throughout eternity and we can still feel it in a place like this this morning. And as we stand, and as the praise team gets ready to, to, to come up here. When Jesus stated that it is finished, he was, he was saying that everything that he came to accomplish on this earth was done. But what he could have said, in addition to it is finished, was it's just getting started. Because it meant for everybody else, like you and me, it meant that at any point in our life, we can come before him and we can say, you know what, man, I messed up. I'm not real happy with where my life is right now. I don't love where it's going. Maybe I'm a religious leader. Maybe I'm just hearing about God for the first time. It doesn't matter. If we're humanity, we're all the same. We need him to save us from our sins. 
And that meant that we can come in here and our life can just get started because of what he finished. So as we get ready to move into this worship service, we're going to hear a message. I wonder if we can just kind of think about everything that he did on the cross that day. I wonder if we can think about what he finished for us so that we can start in our life today new and fresh. And you know what? As the praise team sings and we get ready to go into worship, maybe, maybe we slip up our hand. Maybe we close our eyes and we say, you know what, God, I'm sorry. I've, I've messed up. I haven't done things the right way. But I give you honor. I give you glory for everything that you've done. And if you'll forgive me, I'm going to do better going forward. And let's see what God wants to accomplish in this service. Let's give him a chance to change our hearts and to change our minds. Thank you, Jesus.